Today on the Matt Wall Show, Bud Light is scrambling to get back into the good graces of its customer base, but all their attempts have hilariously fallen flat so far. However, the company is getting some help from the Republican establishment, who apparently want us to back down from the Bud Light boycott in order to protect all of the donor cash that Anheuser-Busch sends to Republicans. I'll explain why that's sure as hell not going to happen. Also, Chicago descended into chaos over the weekend, so no different than any other weekend. But the mayor of Chicago wants us to know that the people looting and rioting uh, are not at fault. We should feel sorry for them, he says. Plus, a Democratic representative embarrasses herself while trying to make the case for men and women's sports. And in her daily cancellation, I'll be canceling a creepy weirdo on YouTube who also happens to be an extremely famous and successful children's entertainer. entertainer. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Gold has been a valuable commodity for thousands of years. Throughout history, it's been used as currency, jewelry, and the store of value as well. One of the key reasons to invest in gold is its ability to serve as a hedge against inflation. When inflation rises, the purchasing power of paper currency decreases. While stocks and bonds and real estate can all be subject to volatile fluctuations, gold tends to be more stable over the long term. The economy is in turmoil. The stock market is tanking. There's only one thing you can count on, and that is precious metals. Birch Gold is the only company I trust to help me invest in physical gold and silver. They have everything you need to protect your money in an unstable economic climate. They'll uh, even help you convert your existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA and precious metals. When you invest with Birch Gold, you'll be uh, protecting your savings from inflation and economic uncertainty. I buy gold from Birch Gold because I want a financial safety net for my family, and you can do the same. Text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold today. With an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold is the company I trust to protect my future and yours. Text Walsh to 9898. 9-8 today. There's nothing unusual about watching a major corporation fumble around hilariously in an increasingly desperate and self-defeating effort to handle a PR crisis of their own making. We've witnessed scenes of this sort many times in the past, but what makes the current drama with Bud Light so unique and perhaps really unprecedented in recent times is that in this case, the corporation is clumsily flailing around in the hopes of appeasing conservatives. We are not the group that these companies are usually trying to impress. It's not our outrage that they are normally responding to. But Bud Light's decision to put out a Dylan Mulvaney celebratory can promoting transgenderism and the desecration and appropriation of womanhood has become a tipping point. And things are changing. There's, there's real momentum behind the Bud Light boycott, unlike any other attempted conservative boycott in memory. And that momentum is only growing, even as Bud Light tries to stymie it by uh, doing anything except the one thing that could bring this all to an end, which is to explicitly apologize for pushing gender ideology. They haven't done that yet. They're not ready to do that yet. So instead, they tried to get around the issue on Friday with a statement from Brendan Whitworth, who's the CEO of Anheuser-Busch. And the statement is remarkable in that it goes on for a long time, but says absolutely nothing at all. It reminds me of every essay I wrote in high school or every Kamala Harris speech. Whitworth wrote, quote, As the CEO of a company founded in America's heartland more than 165 years ago, I am responsible for ensuring every consumer feels proud of the beer we brew. We're honored to be a part of the fabric of this country. Anheuser-Busch employs more than 18,000 people, and our independent distributors employ an additional 47,000 valued colleagues. We have thousands of partners, millions of fans, and a proud history supporting our communities, military first responders, sports fans, and hardworking Americans everywhere. We never intended to be part of a discussion that divides people. We are in the business of bringing people together over a beer. My time serving this country taught me the importance of accountability and the values upon which America was founded. Freedom, hard work, and respect for one another. As CEO of Anheuser-Busch, I am focused on building and protecting our remarkable history and heritage. I care deeply about this country, this company, our brands, and our partners. I spend much of my time traveling across America, listening to and learning from our customers, distributors, and others. Moving forward, I will continue to work tirelessly to bring great beers to consumers across our nation. That was the same. On second thought, maybe he is saying something significant here because he said that um, he's going to work to bring great beers to consumers, which means that uh, that must be him announcing that he's quitting the company and going to work for a beer distributor that actually makes great beers. Because if you want to you know, bring great beers to consumers, then you can't work for Anheuser-Busch. But if that's not what he means, then this statement doesn't say anything, except that Anheuser-Busch is scared, and they're panicking, but they have no idea what to do about it. 
In fact, the statement is a, it's a, it's a master class in self-sabotage. So they shot themselves in the foot and then they reloaded and shot themselves in the other foot. Because by refusing to directly apologize to their customer base, they've done nothing to quell the controversy or stop the boycott. But by issuing the statement in the first place, and by admitting at the very least that transgenderism, the transgenderism conversation divides people, even though they didn't say transgenderism, but that's what they're talking about, by, by referring to it as divisive, they also managed to piss off the left. So it's a statement that appeases no one and makes them look worse to everyone. They had, a, they had a few possible options for dealing with this PR crisis that they created for themselves. None of them are great. You know, you never have a great option when, when you're in the middle of a PR thing. But, uh, but some were better than others. And they surveyed all of the options and decided to choose the worst possible one. The one with the biggest downside, but no upside to offset. But just brilliant stuff. Later on the same day, they decided to take a, a somewhat different approach Without addressing the controversy at all, Budweiser put out an ad which was meant to uh, pander to the customer base that they have alienated. Watch. Let me tell you a story about a beer rooted in the heart of America, found in a community where a handshake is a sure contract. Brewed for those who found opportunity in challenge and hope in tomorrow. Raised by generations, willing to sip, share, risk, remember. This is a story bigger than beer. This is the story of the American spirit. Hmm. Let me tell you a story about a beer, brewed for those who amputate their own genitals. That would have been a more honest script. Instead, they went with the old school pitch to the working class conservatives, hoping that uh, we forget that their vice president is on the record saying she doesn't want to appeal to that demographic anymore. I mean, they're throwing it. They even had a, they had a 9-11 reference in that. They're just throwing everything against the wall. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to it's uh, it's it's not going to make us lose focus here. We haven't forgotten and we won't. So the boycott is still on. The only thing that brings this to an end is a groveling apology. That's the only way this ends or else it ends with Bud Light simply deciding to absorb the damage and deal with the financial repercussions. Either result is acceptable to me because they both would achieve the end goal of, of punishing corporate wokeism, claiming a scalp, and making an example out of somebody, which is, which is the point here. As for the financial damage, there's no way to be sure how much is being inflicted on the company at this point. Um, you know, we'll have a clearer picture of that when the quarterly earnings reports and all that stuff start, starts coming out. Right now, all we have um, are anecdotes, and the anecdotal evidence makes a pretty compelling case that the boycott is making a serious dent. The New York Post published an article interviewing industry analysts who admit that this boycott, quote, has legs. Justin Kendall, who's the editor of a beer industry trade publication, Brewbound, said that from what he's seen, the anti-Bud Light movement has gone from social media and it's made its way into the mainstream. You know, there's reports that have come in from all over the country of bars and restaurants that are refusing to serve Bud Light and other ones that will still serve it, but they're not able to sell it. One of the most telling signs is a cell phone video, uh, which was captured from a concert where the country artist Riley Green was performing, and he, he changed the lyrics in one of his songs. The song usually contains the line, I wish coolers never run out of cold Bud Light. But as his own protest against the beer brand, he changed it to say, I wish coolers never run out of cold Coors Light. And listen to the audience's reaction to that. Here it is. Yes, that's, that's a, a very convincing sign that boycott Bud Light is not just a Twitter phenomenon. But the most important sign is the behavior of the company itself. The statement they put out, the ad, you know, 
none of that says much, but it does say one thing, which is that the company is worried. Yet they're they're getting an assist. You know, they're worried. The back's against the, uh, the, the, the wall here a little bit. But they are getting an assist from what some may consider an unexpected source. Though if you've been paying attention to politics for longer than, say, 30 minutes, you would very much expect it. The Republican establishment is beginning to circle the wagons around Anheuser-Busch. As the, Daily Be- as the Daily Beast reports, quote, the National Republican Congress- Congressional Committee quietly deleted a fundraising page on Saturday that took aim at one of its largest donors, the parent company of Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch. The NRCC's backpedaling follows conservative calls for a boycott of the beer company that it par- uh, after it partnered with transgender TikTok personality Dylan Mulvaney. On Saturday morning, the powerful committee that provides support to Republican congressional campaigns blasted out a tweet calling for supporters to donate to the NRCC and, in exchange, be given a custom drink koozie. Thanks to Dylan Mulvaney, we can all finally admit that Bud Light tastes like water, the NRCC said in a sense-deleted tweet that the Daily Beast reviewed and can be seen uh, in the article. With our new koozies, you can make sure that no one confuses Bud Light with real beer ever again. But shortly after it was posted around 9.30 a.m., the tweet was taken down. Later on Saturday afternoon, the corresponding fundraising page was also nixed. The decision to reverse course is almost certainly a reaction to the reality that the parent company behind Bud Light is a major donor to the group. Now, I wouldn't normally trust the Daily Beast speculations about such matters, but in this case, they appear to be exactly correct. In fact, Donald Trump Jr. has made this argument explicitly. On his podcast a couple of days ago, Trump called for conservatives to, quote, leave the company alone because uh, they donate to Republicans. That was his reasoning. Listen. This is one like we're dunking on them now, but when you actually look into it, they'd be one of the more conservative-leaning companies in America. So they've been put on notice. I'm leaving them alone. I think you should probably do the same. And we looked into the political giving and lobbying history of Anheuser-Busch. And guess what? They actually support Republicans. In in woke corporate America, Anheuser-Busch supports Republicans. Last cycle, their employees and their PAC gave about 60% to Republicans and 40% to Democrats. That's literally almost unheard of in corporate America. So we should note that Caitlyn Jenner, who was apparently hanging out at Mar-a-Lago this weekend, also came out in defense of Bud Light for the same reasons that uh, Don Jr. articulated, though Jenner apparently deleted his pro-Bud Light tweet after I called him out for it. Still, it's clear that there is a powerful contingent within the Republican Party that wants us to stand down for the sake of protecting all of that sweet, sweet donor cash. But that's not going to happen. And, And I will explain why. Okay, first of all, I am well aware that Anheuser-Busch donates to Republicans and has Republican executives and a largely conservative customer base. That's exactly why we should boycott them, okay? It makes their endorsement of gender ideology all the more outrageous, and it makes them all the more vulnerable to our pushback against that marketing decision. As I tried to explain a couple of weeks ago, before the Bud Light boycott began in earnest, If we want to fight back against corporate wokeism, we have to be strategic and intelligent in choosing our targets. Okay, Um, Nike has partnered with Mulvaney too. You know, Nike had, uh, and and we could say in in an even more egregious kind of way, Nike sent women's clothing to Mulvaney, including a sports bra, and had this man model it, uh, which, which which is even more, as I said, egregious. And then plenty of cosmetic brands and women fashion, women's fashion brands have done Similar, but we aren't trying to organize a boycott against those companies. Why is that? Because we have very little power over them. Okay, you want, if you're going to try something like this, you have to be able to see the win. There has to be a win at the end of it. In 2022, 84% of Nike's political donations went to Democrats. In 2020, it was nearly 90%. So this is a left wing company run by left wing people and catering to a customer base that does not primarily consist of working-class, conservative, middle-aged white men like Bud Light. Okay, it's not, um, it's not plumbers from Idaho or truck drivers from Wisconsin who are going out to buy $200 Nike shoes. So it, it's, it's not going to be very effective to organize a boycott against a company that doesn't care what we think and doesn't need our business. 
How is that supposed to work exactly? So all these conservatives, and it's not just those in the establishment and high-ranking Republicans and so on. I've seen this on, on Twitter and on social media. Plenty of conservatives saying, well, what's the point of this? I mean, Nike, this company, that company, they're all woke. But what do you, what do you think you're going to do about Nike? Bud Light, on the other hand, does need our business. And so they do or should care what we think. This gives us power that we can either choose to actually use for a change or we can sit back quietly and absorb the insult like we always do. And to that second option, I say, hell no. We have power in this case. Let's actually use it. I know that that concept is like mind boggling to a lot of Republicans. But when you have power, you should use it. This is what the GOP establishment and its donor class don't understand. Okay? We are sick and tired of this. We are sick and tired of watching as our culture is claimed piece by piece by madness and degeneracy. We are not okay with it. We are furious about it, in fact. And we aren't following your lead in the fight against it because you people aren't interested in fighting against it. We're not going to sit around and, and wait for you to execute your master plan to win back the culture. You have no such plan. You're satisfied to let the culture crumble and decay as long as you can have a hand in ruling over the rubble. And that's how we got to this point in the first place, where transgenderism is the sort of thing that even Bud Light feels it needs to promote. That's how the total denial of biological reality became mainstream and seized hold of our society. It happened because the conservative, quote-unquote, leadership tasked with defending our country against evils like gender ideology— abdicated their responsibility. They gave up without putting up even the semblance of a struggle. They left it to the rest of us to fight this battle, and so so we are. You're asleep, we're taking the wheel. It's that simple. And we don't care about Republican donors. Okay, the Republican donors are as worthless as the Republicans they donate to. So I don't give a damn about them. And you could scoff all you want, Right, But this boycott matters. It does. It matters because it's obviously not just about one beer company. It's about making a statement. It's about achieving a victory for truth and sanity. It's about doing the things that you people won't do. So step aside and let us handle it. Okay? We'll, we'll, we'll do everything. You'll do nothing. And then later on, when we get the win... You can run campaign ads pretending that you did something, as always. And that's fine. I don't even care about that. I just want the win. That's all that matters. Now let's get to our five headlines. The attack on masculinity is no secret. We talk about it all the time. Mainstream media demonizes normal, heterosexual, and masculine men while promoting non-masculine behavior and gender fluidity. There are even studies coming out that show how testosterone levels have been declining for decades, with a 17% drop among 60-year-olds in 2004 compared to 1987. Researchers call these changes alarming, which is certainly an understatement. The Black Forest Testo Stack is the ultimate solution to help you reclaim your masculinity. It combines the power of three natural supplements, terkesterone, cystins, and tangat ali. Are those, those are real things? To help boost your testosterone levels and improve your overall well-being. Terkesterone is a natural anabolic compound that supports muscle growth and improves, improves uh, endurance. Sistanchi, it enhances overall vitality. And Tonkat Ali is a potent herb that has uh, been used for centuries to increase testosterone levels, improve libido, and reduce stress levels. Black Forest Supplements is dedicated to bringing back traditional masculinity and femininity as well. Visit blackforestsupplements.com and use the code Walsh at checkout for 10% off your order today. Don't let anybody tell you that being strong and confident is a bad thing. That's blackforestsupplements.com and promo code Walsh today. Okay, this is from uh, Fox News. Hundreds of teenagers stormed the streets of downtown Chicago, smashing car windows, attacking bystanders standards, and uh, sending panicked tourists running from the sound of gunfire. Um, a woman who ident- was identified as a Chicago native told Fox 32, where are their parents at? That's my question. Very good question. Fox 32 cameras captured video of teenagers crowding the streets and police seeking to restore order to the area. Large groups of teens were seen blasting music from Bluetooth speakers 
and roaming in front of traffic, with uh, some attempting to gain access to the city's Millennium Park, which is off limits to those under 21 after certain hours, and the Downtown Art Institute. Some teens in the group began jumping up and down on cars, smashing windows, attacking people inside. Um, and so there's just general mayhem. And we do have some of the footage of this. Let's play, let's play some of the footage. the general idea. A lot of video like that from Chicago. Um, and in some ways, it looks like just your standard weekend in Chicago. But I guess this was a, a little bit more than usual, a little more chaos than usual. Now, speaking of weak, pathetic statements that don't say anything, the new mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, put out his own uh, Bud Light-esque statement. But in, in response to this, reading from Newsweek, it says, Johnson, a progressive Democrat who won Chicago's mayoral race earlier this month, issued a statement on Sunday responding to the unrest. In no way do I condone the destructive activity we saw in the loop in Lakefront this weekend. It is unacceptable and has no place in our society. However, it is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. Our city must work together to create spaces for youth to gather safely and responsibly under adult guidance and supervision to ensure that every part of our city remains welcome to both residents and visitors. You know, this is the kind of thing where... Um, you know, very often, especially in public statements, when there's a but or a however, you can just forget everything that happened before it. Okay, this is one of those howevers that has the effect of erasing everything that came before it. And uh, so when you say there was violence and chaos in the city, I don't condone it. However, okay, now we get to the part that he really wanted to say, which is that let's 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 be nice to these uh, these poor, helpless, uh, you know, lost and confused youth who just, they just want opportunities. Is that what we're pretending? That uh, these kids, they really just want a job is what they want. They want, they want to be constructive, contributing members of society, but there are no opportunities around. And so uh, instead they just go around, uh, you know, shooting and killing each other because what, because, you know, there's, there's no opportunities. This is not a surprising response from Johnson. After all, uh, the 2020 rides, this, this is a, a clip that's gone viral in the last couple of days, even though it goes back to 2020 before he was mayor. And uh, he was on local news and he was asked about the riots back in 2020. And this is how he responded. Food because they, that's how they can eat. The real answer is how do we make sure the question is how do we make sure that people can eat? Look, no one is going to condone, um, you know, behavior that, that quite frankly, speaks to a level of desperation. So you're not, you're not condoning out, looting? I'm saying that people are acting out of desperation. We don't want a society that is acting out of desperation. But you have to pay attention to the cries that people have. By so you're, you're not that, condoning looting? Th th there's no way to, to, to embrace that. What I'm saying is you can't condone the looting that corporations continue to do every single day when they take tax dollars from black, brown, white folks all over the city of Chicago so that they can turn a profit. Can't even bring, he, he can barely bring himself. It, it, took, it took three times and he finally said, and he didn't even say, I don't condone it. He said, well, you can't condone it. And, and he means that literally, like, I can't condone it. I can't, I can't publicly condone it, but I do, is what he's really saying. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a outrageous absurdity here, especially the, the talking point that we're getting from him and that we hear from these people all the time is this thing about opportunities. These people want opportunities. Well, if you want opportunities, I assume you mean like job opportunities and that sort of thing. Well, then stop looting and robbing and burning down the companies and the businesses that are in your community. Okay? Why aren't there more opportunities in some of these communities? Because all the businesses are being chased out because they don't want to be robbed. They don't want to be shot. They don't want, they don't want their employees to be shot. They don't, want to, they don't want people walking in with garbage bags and just filling them with items and strolling out. They don't want that. And so they're leaving. Okay? If you want businesses and companies and you want uh, job opportunities in your communities, 
then you should embrace the business owners when they're there. And I don't mean embrace like tackle them to the ground so you could steal a bunch of stuff and run out. I don't mean embrace like that. I mean, provide a welcoming environment for them. Now, there are two things that we can learn from videos like this of all the chaos and everything in Chicago. Or rather, this is not any, anything that we should be learning right now. We should already know this. But there are really two things that lead to this. One, as a, as a you know, member of the community is quoted in that one article, uh, yes, it's a, it's a total lack of parenting. Okay, if you do, this is why I don't want to hear anything from Brandon Johnson or anybody else about, about racism in Chicago. I don't want to hear anything about that. Okay, just shut up about racism. The entire city is run, practically, by uh, people who are not white. Okay, just systemically, all the way down the line. This is a city run by Democrats, and most of them are not white. So I don't want to hear about racism. How about you parent your damn kids? Okay, how about you do the bare minimum to take care of your own kids and parent them and teach them how to be contributing, decent members of society? I mean, just like the bare minimum is all I'm asking. Something. Like, rather than doing nothing, because a lot of those kids that you see in Chicago there, they've had zero parenting. There's been no effort made at all to instill any kind of value system, any sort of moral formation, nothing. So rather than going from, let's, let's do, so right now we have 0% effort on the parenting side of things. Let's get it up to like 15%. Here's a crazy idea. Let's keep the fathers around. Okay, there's a decision. I mean, the fatherless problem in the inner city is like 80% or something. It's, you know, we're talking about 70, 80% of these kids grow up in, in, uh, in homes without fathers. These are choices that are made. These are choices that are made. These are choices that men make to create babies and then leave. It's choices that women make to have babies with those sorts of men. Okay, so these are choices that people are making. Stop making those choices. Make better choices. How's that for an idea? Okay, because when you have a mother who's not interested in parenting, you have a father who's not even around, and then you have all this, you have all this uh, uh, peer influence, all the gang activity, the crime, and everything... I mean, there's, it's like there's no hope. There's no chance. You can make all the policy changes you want. It won't make a damn bit of difference. So give yourself a chance. Give the community a chance. Raise your own kids. And you could, you, know, you could be the best parent in the world, and you could, you could raise your kids in a two-parent household, and, uh, and they could still make terrible choices, you know? Because kids are, they're human beings, and they make choices, and you, you can't control. We talk about controlling kids. And you can't control them like puppets. You can't control what they think, certainly. But you can influence them. So instead of talking about controlling kids, we should be talking about influence. But you can do it. There's a lot of influencing you can do with your children, for better or worse. And uh, this, what we're seeing in that video, that is a result of parental influence. Or a total lack thereof. You know, but a lack of influence is an influence in and of itself. So yeah, you could do it perfectly and your kid could still out go, go, go out and do something crazy. But you give yourself and your community and your children a, a heck of a better chance if you just do the bare minimum. And the bare minimum is being there for them, having two parents in the house and being there physically. Let's start with that. And then we can move on to some of the, to some of the sort of like higher level parenting skills. So that's what leads to this. No parenting. And then as a, an extension of that, is just no personal accountability at all. No sense of like taking control of your own life and making better decisions. And this comes all the way from the top. This is what the people who are in charge in cities like Chicago and every other city, and also people in charge of our country at the national level, they don't want personal accountability. Okay, they want you to feel like you are totally helpless. They want you to feel like you are a puppet on a string. And, and, and you need someone to be the marionette and make you dance around. Because you, you have no ability to move your limbs yourself and, and operate in the world as, an, as, a, as a, a human agent who makes choices and has to live with those choices. They don't want you to feel like that. They want you to feel totally helpless and vulnerable 
um, like a like a child, not even a child, some sort of robot that needs better programming. That's how they want you to feel. That's how they want us all to feel. Uh, and as long as that continues, we're going to continue to see this sort of thing in Chicago. Um, all right, moving on to Representative Katie Porter, who's a Democrat from California. Now, like any Democrat from California, she's uh, she's you know well, she's a repulsive human being, deeply unlikable on every level, and she's also now running for Senate, and she has a book coming out, um, or it already came out. Who knows? I don't know. Nobody's going to buy it. I mean, like n- literally, no actual human being on earth will read Katie Porter's book. Uh, Katie Porter hasn't even read it. It will probably end up on a New York Times bestseller list because the publisher will uh, coordinate, you know, mass bulk purchases of the book to get it up on the on the list. But no flesh and blood human is going to buy it. That much we know for sure. The other thing about Katie Porter is that according to her ex-husband, she's a, a psychotic domestic abuser, according, according to him, allegedly. So um, the court documents tell us, and these, a lot of the, this actually came out when she first ran, I think, for, for Congress several years ago. They're making the rounds again, and she's been doing the media tour. Katie Porter is accused of um, many things, but screaming like a mad woman in their home, smashing things, screaming at and insulting their young children. At one point, uh, her husband says that she dumped a, a hot bowl of mashed potatoes on his head. So an unpleasant woman, in other words. Yeah, she managed to get married anyway. Um, and I, I don't know how that's possible because it's not because of her looks. I can say that. So there's no telling how her husband fell into this trap, but he did. In any case, she's doing the media tour now, and she appeared on Bill Maher's show alongside Piers Morgan. And um, a debate about trans people in sports began. And uh, she kind of went back and forth with, with Piers Morgan, especially. And it didn't go well for her. Watch this. Nobody including Riley Gaines, who I disagree with strongly, should be... Should what do you disagree with, out of interest? Um, I, th- I think that it should be up to sporting bodies to make their decisions about who but and what how should compete. What has she said that's actually wrong? I think that what she has done is try to turn this... We talked about people, you know, becoming... Using things to kind of get likes and get clicks. That's not what she's doing. It's I mean, I, I've got no truck for right against personally, but all I've seen her do is stand up for women's rights to fairness and equality. Well, she, has so she, she actually competed her. against Leah Thomas, and it was obviously unfair. Leah Thomas won one of the races in the NCAA championships by 50 seconds against a bunch of biological females who simply couldn't keep up. That cannot be right. It cannot be fair. That is something that I trust... I think our sporting bodies should be dealing with. And by the way, Riley is speaking up for herself, and that is her prerogative, and I respect her free speech. I think she's speaking up for pretty much every female athlete in the world. I I mean, wasn't that that the point of Title IX? Title IX in the early 70s was something that was... uh, it was a major event in feminism that we finally have this law that says at colleges, right, and I think high schools too, but definitely colleges, women, women's sports have to be given equal to men's sports so that women aren't getting, you know, and this led to the WNBA and lots of other stuff. This seems to be the opposite of that. It seems to be so many instances, I think, where wokeness is the opposite of what I grew up as liberals. Liberalism was let's give the women an equal shot. And meanwhile, this is let, let's put a male in the in the swimming pool right, with the women. I don't get it. It's crazy. And meanwhile, trans people who genuinely want to compete at athletics and swimming or whatever it may be, they they're the ones who are suffering here. They need to be found a way to compete fairly and justly. Well, what's your answer then? I think there's one or two answers. I think they either compete against their biological sex, as many of them did before, or you create an entirely new category for a transgender athlete. And then they're able to compete fairly. But what you cannot do is continue to allow more and more trans athletes to start decimating women's records, in some cases, irrevocably. All right, so that was uh, just a total decimation by Piers Morgan of Katie Porter. And it's, it's not the only example, by the way, in this, this conversation, it went to other subjects and the same thing. This woman is just, has, has nothing to say whatsoever. She's like, she's the white Stacey uh, Abrams, basically. And uh, especially on this topic, though, I mean, there's there's no argument that no argument exists that could possibly begin to defend the idea that somebody like Leah Thomas should compete against women because he feels like he is one. <laughs> that is the argument. And no matter how many times you hear it, it, it can never fail to um, astound you. 
by its sheer stupidity and incoherence. That men should be able to compete against women if they feel like they are one. What? That's really the only response that you need to give to that. What? And, and throw it back to them. Like, continue. Go ahead. Tell me more about why that should be the case. She can't. She has no, all she can ever do is, uh, and this is, all, this is all, all these people, this is what they always do on this topic in particular. They defer to the, the governing bodies. Well, you know, the governing bodies, I leave it up to them to decide. And like, well, except that if those bodies, the governing bodies and the medical health organizations, all the rest, if they start, you know, if, if something were to happen, some miracle were to occur, and they come to some sane conclusions on these topics, well, then we'll hear from the Katie Porters of the world that, those or- that this is systemic discrimination. So that's the thing. Either the big organizations agree with Katie Porter, and so therefore are the authorities, and we should simply defer to them completely. We shouldn't even talk about it. Just defer to them. Or they disagree with Katie Porter, in which case, that is a, a, a proof of systemic oppression against trans people, and we should discard them utterly. That's how the game works. The only thing I disagree with Pierce Morgan about is at the very end there, when he was asked, well, what's the solution to somebody like Leah Thomas? And he starts by saying, make them compete against their biological, you know, in their correct biological category, which is the right answer. And then he says, or we can make a, a, a separate category for trans people. That part, no. Okay, because they're... I mean, that would be absurd, first of all. There's not nearly enough people to fill out a whole category of trans. Um, and, and the other side, that's not a compromise that the other side's going to accept. Because Leah Thomas doesn't want to be seen as a trans woman in a trans category. He wants to be seen as a woman competing against women. And for these men that suddenly discover their inner female identity, their inner femaleness, the whole point is to get you know, on the field or in the pool or whatever against women. That's why they want to be there. So they're never going to accept this other compromise position, which is why we shouldn't offer it. But also we shouldn't offer it because it's not, it's not right. No, there's no real problem here, okay? Except for the one that these trans-identified people and the transgender in, you know, in general is creating. They are creating a problem for themselves. And so our response should be, that's your problem. You made this for yourself. You deal with it. I don't know. It's not, it's not up to me. It's not a problem we have to solve for you. Well, I've decided to identify as a woman and dress up as a woman and live my life as a woman. And, and so now I feel uncomfortable competing against men. Um, sorry about your luck. I, I don't, don't do that. I, I don't know. That's not our problem. Okay, 99.9% of the world has no issue here. They use the right bathrooms. They, use, they go on the right teams. That's the way it's always been. You come along and say, well, I've made personal decisions and I've decided to dress and present myself in a way that makes me uncomfortable in the category that I belong in. And then you throw it, and then you and then you, you pass the buck to us to, to make us figure out how to deal with that? No. There's no issue here. Males compete against males. That's it. What if there's what if there are males who don't feel right? They don't want it. Okay, well then don't compete. I don't know. It's, do, do something else with your time. Go, take up baking. I, I I don't care. Go for a jog. Like go go for I, I, do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. Except you can't compete against the women. That's one thing you can't do because you're not one. That should be the answer, but uh, still, I think, overall, Piers Morgan uh, handled himself quite well there. All right, Pete Buttigieg, Transportation Secretary, is um, at least pretending to focus on transportation-related issues. That's the one good thing I can say about this clip. But the problem is that he has to focus on them through a leftist identity politics lens, which leads to situations like this. We've got a crisis when it comes to roadway fatalities in America. We lose about 40,000 people every year. It's a level that's comparable to gun violence. And we see a lot of racial disparities, black and brown Americans, tribal citizens and rural residents, much more likely to lose their lives, whether it's in a car or as a pedestrian being hit by a car. There are a lot of reasons uh, related to discrimination, related to uh, even the ways that roads are designed and built. Who has access to uh, a safe street design that's got crosswalks and good lighting? Who doesn't have that access? That can drive disparities. And we have a, a responsibility to act on that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the, the, the racist roads were set up in a way to cause fatal car accidents for, uh, you know, black people. 
That's true. I, they've, they've actually, uh, the white supremacist people, they've actually built the roads, especially in a lot of these inner cities. They've, for example, just one example I'll throw out at you. They, they have um, these spring mechanisms where if you're driving along the road, the road will actually eject you. It's like the spring-loaded thing, and it'll eject you into the sun. Uh, and that's, and that's uh, just one of the things that the dastardly white supremacists have done. So if you're wondering, when Pete Buttigieg talks about the roads are racist themselves, how could that possibly be the case? Well, that's how. That's how I'm explaining to you. Um, in reality, of course, they, these people cannot express any concern about anything without running it through the identity politics filter. And this is a confession that these people don't care about people. They don't, they don't care about human beings in general. Because if they did, okay, if Pete Buttigieg gave a damn about people, then he would just say, hey, uh, there's a lot of car accidents, a lot of people are dying, it's terrible. We need to find a way to cut down on car accidents because people are getting hurt and people are dying. That's good enough. Like, we're, we all agree. We, it's, it's, no one's happy with the number of car accident fatalities. Let's talk about ways to reduce them. Um, you don't have to, you know, do anything else to help the argument. We, we all are on the same page with that. But Pete Buttigieg and people on the left, that's not good enough. To simply say, oh, this issue affects all of humanity. The left's going to say, well, what do I care about all of humanity for? Oh, no, no, it especially affects, uh, you know, people of color and uh, LGBT people. Oh, well, then obviously we have to do something about it. By the way, this is all nonsense, obviously. Policy Genius um, has sponsors of the show. They have a, a list of states with the most fatal car accidents versus the least. I did look this up. Not that this is really something we need to engage with on a serious level at all, but I looked it up anyway. So here are the states with the most car accidents uh, fatal car accidents, rather. California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina. Okay, those are the most fatal. And then least fatal, Washington, D.C., Alaska, Vermont, Rhode Island, Hawaii. So what do we notice about the, the states with, and Washington, D.C. is not a state, by the way, but it's on the list. What do we notice about the, the states with the most uh, fatal car accidents? Lots of people in those states, and, and also in many states, a lot of bad weather. Okay, like Texas, Florida, North Carolina, a lot of bad weather, a lot of rain, you know, that sort of thing. And what about the states with the least uh, fatal car accidents? Plenty of bad weather in places like Alaska and Vermont, sure, but nobody lives there. Um, and that's, that's the thing. In most of these states, low population density, especially as compared to other states. Washington, D.C. is the only outlier, but they also have a police force that is dedicated to doing literally nothing but giving out traffic tickets. That's, if you ever been to D.C., that's the only thing the cops in D.C. do. They don't do anything else. If, as, we, as we've learned, like, there's a carjacking, anything. They're not going to do anything about that, but they will. If you try to park illegally or you go seven miles over the limit, they're going to get you for that. That's the only thing they care about. And so that's what's happening there. Um, other than D.C., there's a pretty clear equation. If you live in a place with lots of people and population density, and then you also throw in bad weather, um, you get car accidents. Crazy, I know. And then you're thinking, well, how do we, how do we factor race into all this? How does race factor? You don't. You don't factor it in because it's got nothing to do with it. Glad I could clear that up. Let's get to the comment section. John says, Matt, as someone who used to watch Mr. Beast, Chris Tyson was the last person I ever expected to transition. He and Mr. Beast literally made a video making fun of gender ideology back in 2016, and the Alphabet Mafia even tried to cancel both of them over it back in 2021. That, along with Chris um, just always being the seemingly masculine man and always seemed to have conservative Christian viewpoints, which seemed to change right after the pandemic and then early 2022 is about uh, the time he stopped posting family photos with his wife and kid, which is also when he started painting his nails. I believe Chris said that they had separated for a while, so she probably knew something was wrong and left him. Um, yeah, I've, I've uh, as I said last week, I never followed Mr. Beast. I didn't really even know he existed until recently. And uh, so I have been hearing from a lot of former fans of uh, the Mr. Beast channel. And I've heard this a lot, that Chris Tyson, the guy who decided to transition, is, um, you know, was, was the last one you would ever expect. And I think... You learn a few things from that. One is that you, you, you never know with a person. You never know what's going on inside their minds. 
Um, you never know what's going on behind the scenes, obviously. But also, you know, you see how quickly this uh, gender confusion can grab hold of somebody. This is not something that needs to happen over the course of decades. This is something that can happen I mean, practically overnight. In my film, What is a Woman? Uh, would you go to whatisawoman.com and you can watch that film. We haven't watched it yet. This is something that... Um, that we cover in the film, that, you know, Scott Nugent talks about it. And uh, it's a, a, a female transitioned, I think it was uh, in her 40s. And she says, it's, it's the same, same kind of thing. It, it, it took hold very, very quickly. And this can happen even to adults. Um, you kind of get lost. And, like, and then I think once they start going down this path, in their minds, and then uh, and now the internet is like a portal into this whole world, and they start exploring it, and they start googling things, and going to different forums and whatever else, um, and they discover a whole lot of people that uh, have been having the same thoughts and confusions, and then they think, well, this I found my identity. This is what I was meant to be. Uh, and I think also, especially for men, uh, pornography plays a major role in this as well, um, which. You know, if we had a, a medical and psychological establishment that was worth anything, th- that is something that they'd be exploring and researching. You know, because I don't know what the numbers are, but I would really like to know uh, the correlation between men who have pornography addictions and especially, and they get into the really weird porn, which apparently, according to old tweets and stuff that have been deleted, Chris Tyson was, uh, and then and then how does that lead very often to this? gender confusion, if it's even confusion at all, or they're just acting out a fetish. But how do the, all these things tie together? Uh, there's a lot of research that should be done about that, but I think we can, we can arrive at some common sense conclusions about it to begin with. Wendy says, I feel for these wives whose husbands have decided to throw a grenade into their marriages, of, at, marriages. after 22 years of marriage and four children, my husband decided he had to be, to be true to himself and live the rest of his life as a gay man. He told me that he never loved me as a husband and is supposed to love a wife and that he could go to therapy for the rest of his life, but he didn't want to. He expected that, he'd be, he, that we would be best buddies and hang out together as a family still with new significant others. I, too, wasn't allowed to be angry or I'd be selfish and a homophobe. He's now, quote unquote, married to a man and moved 5,000 miles away from his children and now grandchildren so he could be happy. Another example. This is, uh, it's the celebration of the self. It's the worship of the self. This is before anything, it is just, it's narcissism on steroids where you're putting, and you are, and the people that do this, they, they have no compunction about being basically honest about it. They, they say, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to rip my whole family apart because it's going to make me happy. And of course, it doesn't work out that way. They don't end up being happy. But, uh, but in, in pursuit of their own, what they perceive to be their own happiness and their own fulfillment, they are going to completely destroy their marriages, their families, their children, and they have no problem with it. Afternoon Walk says the entire trans movement has turned into, um, I'm a guy and I want to dress and act like a woman. This is not what a true trans person is. This is absolutely crazy. I blame the internet entirely. The internet has confused the hell out of these men. Well, you're right in blaming the internet largely. Now, a lot of this stuff... As we've talked about, you go back to John Money, Alfred Kinsey, and even before that. So there were the seeds of our current um, mania uh, before, our, our current cultural mania. You can trace this back to before the internet even existed. The internet plays a, a large role in it. Although I will take exception with what you said, true, quote unquote, true trans people. Well, there's no such thing as a person who is truly, trans means beyond, you know, something that's beyond. So you're sort of beyond gender, or some other category, um, that's, not, that's not something that actually exists. That's not a legitimate category of existence. So to put true in front of that as a qualifier doesn't really make sense. James says, Matt, I've disagreed with you in the past, but never been disappointed in you until now. You not only murdered Johnny the Walrus, but have completely moved on from him like he meant nothing to you. You aren't the man I thought you were. Well, how dare you, sir? You, you have no idea what's going on inside my heart. Uh, You don't understand the burden that I carry. You don't understand the pain. 
And just because I internalize it doesn't mean that I don't feel it. Okay, people grieve in different ways. But uh, I will always remember Johnny the Walrus. You know, I made my documentary, What is a Woman? Because I had to expose the radical gender ideology that had been going on right under our noses for years. In some ways, my documentary helped spark a national debate about what our children are being taught and where this country is headed. If you saw What is a Woman, I thank you for your support. But if you haven't, I have some news for you. This is your last chance to get 30% off your Daily Wire Plus membership when you use code WOMAN at checkout. If you haven't seen the film or uh, if you know someone who hasn't, Tell them to watch it. It's time for more people to come back to the side of truth and reality, which is what we're fighting for. So to watch What is a Woman, join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code WOMAN to save 30% off your membership today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Last week, we opened the show with a discussion, as we were just talking about, of the wildly popular YouTuber Mr. Beast, who attracts a following of many millions of people, most of them kids. And this is a problem because now Mr. Beast... Uh, also prominently features a gender transitioning man in most of his videos. Not Mr. Beast's choice. We, we can assume his sidekick and co-star decided to destroy his life and marriage and career by going on hormone therapy to, to become a woman or a non-binary or whatever he's trying to be. Uh, Mr. Beast has chosen to keep the man in his videos, even publicly accusing his critics of transphobia, which means that his content is no longer suitable for the millions of children who currently consume it. And parents should take note of that. But since that conversation, I, I've heard from many parents who are raising concerns about other YouTubers who are popular among the younger demographics. There's a whole world of YouTubers out there for teens and for young children that I am generally unfamiliar with, mostly because my kids aren't allowed to watch any YouTube at all. Okay, I'm on this platform every day. I have one of the larger channels among conservative commentators anyway, and I would never let my kids go on this site. Okay, especially without parental supervision. And that should tell you something. But many parents do allow their children on this uh, hellscape, and even their very young children. And that's given rise to a booming multi-million dollar industry of child-centric YouTube channels. This is a whole ecosystem filled with content, and a small fraction of which is arguably acceptable in small doses. But much of the rest of it is loud, obnoxious, often overtly creepy, there's a subset of this genre which consists of actual children who have been conscripted into the content creation coal mines by their parents. One of the most popular channels on the entire platform is called Kids Diana Show with 110 million subscribers. 110 million. And it stars uh, an eight-year-old girl named Diana. Now, the videos themselves are basically unobjectionable from what I've seen except that there's kind of a note of tragedy to them, considering that Diana's parents have been harvesting her for content since she was one year old. Now a hugely profitable franchise rests on her small shoulders, and the parents say that, well, she can stop whenever she wants. If she ever stops having fun, then they'll end the channel, they claim. But that's something tells me that they wouldn't let go of the cash cow that easily. Besides, the, the child's entire life has been consumed by internet celebrity. She's been one literally since she was born almost. She's never known existence without it. So to pretend that this is her choice is asinine. So influencers and content creators have found a wide open loophole in our child labor laws, which is a conversation we should probably have in more detail at some other point. The greater concern for us today are the kid-focused YouTubers who are not kids themselves. And there's one in particular that's been mentioned to me many times over the last few days. He's a man who plays a character named Blippi. And now I had never heard of Blippi up until this point. Prior to his name being mentioned to me, I had been living what apparently was a carefree, blissful, Blippi-free life. And I didn't realize how good I had it. I wish I could go back to that time now. I wish I could recapture my lost innocence. But it's too late. After learning about Blippi, I, I felt compelled to uh, spend some time researching this guy, and I found myself tumbling through a dark portal into a bizarre and hellish and, most of all, extremely annoying world. Blippi is apparently a very successful children's YouTuber, boasting 17 million subscribers on his main channel, another 10 million on his secondary channel, Then there are various offshoot channels with hundreds of thousands or millions of subscribers each, not to mention his spin-off series on Amazon, his live stage shows. So Blippi is an unstoppable force in kids' entertainment, which is a problem because he's also incredibly creepy and weird. Now, the first thing you should know about Blippi is that he's a character created by a man named Stephen John. 
And uh, over the past year or so, another guy named Clayton Grimm has also started starring as Blippi in some of the, the YouTube videos. I don't know anything about Clayton Grimm's past, but I do know that Stephen John, who's the original Blippi and still the reigning king of the Blippi universe, used to be an internet personality who went by the moniker Steezy Grossman. Now, back in 2013, under the name Steezy Grossman, Stephen John posted a video so revolting, so nauseating, that I am very hesitant to describe it to you. But considering that I have so many young parents in my audience and a sizable portion of them probably allow their children to watch blippy videos, I feel compelled to tell you about it. And there's no way to put this lightly, so I'll just come out and say it. In 2013, Stevie John made a video where he, um, Stephen John made a video where he, he defecated on another man's naked butt. And John has unsurprisingly gone to incredible lengths to eradicate this video from the internet, but it was made and it is real and he really did that and he filmed it and he published it. Now, less than a year after making the poop video, John posted his first blippy video. Okay, so there's a, not even a year passes between when he's doing that and when he's a children's entertainer. Now, I will say everyone has a past. Everyone has made bad decisions. Taking a dump on a naked man and filming it, that, that, that is several steps beyond your typical youthful indiscretion. And certainly it's the kind of thing that should preclude you from ever becoming a children's entertainer. Now, if Stephen John had taken a crap on a guy and then went on to find success in some other job, if he had become, let's say, a CNN anchor, for example, I wouldn't have a problem with it. You know, for CNN anchors, public defecation is relevant job experience. They do a version of it every day on air, basically. But John went from filming these incredibly repulsive R-rated videos to making content designed for three-year-olds in less than a year. And that tells us that John is not only a deranged weirdo, but that he's a man absolutely desperate for attention and clicks. Okay, he didn't get enough traction by being shocking and disgusting. So instead he went all the way to the other extreme and suddenly the clicks came rolling in. So this is not someone who has a passion for teaching and helping children. Okay, that's not what this is. Rather, he has a passion for getting attention. And for some ungodly reason, millions of parents are happy to give it to him. Now, a lot of Blippi content consists of John, who's the original Blippi, um, running around playgrounds like he's mentally disabled. Uh, here's, here's one of the most popular videos on the channel. This, this video has garnered 500 million. Okay, that's half a billion views. And almost all those views coming from kids who are like three or four years old. Watch. So much to learn about. It'll make you want to shout. Blippi! Hey, it's me, Blippi. Ooh, and it's nighttime and we're in a parking lot. There's so many stores. Wow, look at this store. It's the Kinderland Indoor Playground in Las Vegas, Nevada. Come on. Wow. This place is so colorful. Before we play, we need to take off our shoes. <laughs> All right, one shoe, two shoes. Now we're ready to play. Hello. That's enough of that. Um, I don't mean to overstate this, but I would rather jump feet first into a wood chipper than continue watching that. Uh, and, and, you know, no offense to Blippi. And that's a video from five years ago. But the newer Blippi content is exactly like this. Of course it is, because he got 500 million views on this. This is children's content created by a weirdo degenerate through an algorithm. Okay, that's, that's, that's what this is. There's a video from five days ago, which features the new Blippi in exactly the same sort of situation. Let's watch some of that. So much to learn about. It'll make you want to shout, Blippi! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> hey, it's me, Blippi! And it's me, Mika! <laughs> Whoa! And today we're at Candyland Indoor Playground! In Sherman Oaks, California! Yeah. Oh, and Mika, I have an idea. Yeah? You normally want to start your day with breakfast, but 
today is opposite day. So let's start it with dinner because yeah. breakfast and dinner are opposite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I saw a supermarket back there. Let's dance backwards. Okay, let's go find some <laughs> You cut that off. Um, now, again, I'm not trying to be insulting to Blibby, but all I will say is that these videos make me long for this sweet release of death. And on the plus side, I've actually overcome my fear of my own mortality just by watching short clips of Blippi. It made me realize there are some things worse than death. And these are things that millions of parents allow their children to be subjected to. They actually put that on for their three-year-old and say, come and watch these weird adults dancing around a playground. If I came into a living room and found my three-year-old daughter watching Blippi, I would throw the TV out the window, and then I'd walk outside and gather up the broken pieces and light them on fire, and that would be less scarring for my daughter to witness than one episode of Blippi. And yet again, millions of parents willingly put this on for their kids, and they sit back and they watch as the sheer stupidity of this kind of content causes their children's brains to melt and literally drip out of their ears, and they have no problem with that. There's an important lesson to be learned here. Woke kids content is not the only sort of kids content that we should be watching out for. Many of the shows and YouTube videos that parents allow their children to watch may not be overtly woke, but they are harmful in their own way. Okay, yes, it is actually harmful to put this on for your kid. It actually is. Because even if there's no explicit ideological agenda, the content is still incredibly stupid and loud and obnoxious and weird and creepy and lifeless. You got Blippi, a grown adult man, playing alone on a child's playground at night, hopping around on plastic toys under fluorescent lights in an otherwise empty building. I mean, this is the stuff of nightmares. This is the kind of thing that you, that you, you know, if, if you have bad Chipotle and you go to bed and you're, it's like, this is the kind of things, you, nightmares that you have. We wouldn't typically call this woke, but the atmosphere is sterile and depressing and slightly uncanny. And also ironically for children's content, totally free of actual children, which is the kind of culture that the woke crowd seeks to create as it happens. And there will always be something viscerally unsettling about adults who act like preschool aged children. That, that is, that's never normal or okay. And this is not what children's entertainment should be or used to be. Now, I've, I've heard some people say that, well, Blippi is the modern Mr. Rogers. Okay, how dare you, first of all, keep Mr. Rogers' name out of your mouth, as, as Will Smith might say. Will Smith might say. Uh, he's, he's not Mr. This is the anti-Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers was a, was a kind, grandfatherly figure. He didn't act like a child. He, act like a, he acted like a grown man who knew how to speak to children, and there's a massive difference. Adults should not behave like children in order to connect to children. Adults should act like adults so that children can one day become adults themselves in the future. It is possible to engage with a child on his level without acting like a child yourself. There is therefore no real educational value in a child watching Blippi, a repressed, overgrown man-child with the emotional maturity of a five-year-old. He's not the modern-day Mr. Rogers, but the modern-day, you know, Michael Jackson, if anything. And the fact that this is all an act, a persona adopted entirely for the purpose of gaining YouTube views, makes it even more creepy, not less. Now, Blippi is an extreme example, but much of modern kids' programming is just like this. It's quite often patronizing, idiotic, loud, cold, ugly, dreary. Even the animated fair, Paw Patrol, and the like. You know, it's, it has no character, it has no beauty, it has no charm, it has no point other than to keep the child occupied, staring at the screen slack-jawed so that his parents can do other things. And doing other things for the parents usually means that the parent is in a different room staring at different screens, slack-jawed and distracted. Conservatives spend so much time worrying about overtly political or ideological messaging in children's content, and rightly so, but they don't spend nearly enough time worrying about content that works as a kind of mental numbing agent, like a psychological Novocaine, so that their children are entranced and distracted, but not gaining anything of value from the experience. That's why in my house, we have banished most children's shows, except for a select few. Okay, I'm not gonna let my kids watch anything with a hint of wokeness, and I won't let them watch anything that will make their IQs plummet in, in, you know, to the floor in real time. And you know the other thing I do? I listen to my own parental intuition. 
And if something looks relatively harmless on the surface, but still seems bizarre, seems off to me, and Blippi definitely seems bizarre and off, I listen to that intuition and I ban that show from my house. This is why I especially am not going to let my kids watch YouTube kids content from random weirdos. I'd rather they spend their time playing their time playing games or, you know, running around outside or doing arts and crafts projects. I'd even prefer that my kids, if they're bored, there's nothing else to do, I'd prefer that they bicker and fight with each other and annoy the hell out of me than sit half conscious in front of a screen while their childhoods dwindle away. And I'd rather they do literally anything with their time than watch something like Blippi, who is today very much canceled. That'll do it for this portion of the show. As we move over to the members block, hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.